Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast where three literary matchmakers set you up with your next great read using only dating app questions like, do you consider yourself a romantic? What is your dream Saturday? If tattoos only lasted one year, what would you get? What's your go-to karaoke song? This is Blind Date with a Book. Prepare to fall in love. Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast that sets you up with your book, Meet Cute. I'm one of your hosts, Rachel Manns McKenney, and I'm an author and book reviewer from the Midwest. I'm Elena Nicolau, and I'm the culture editor of Oprah Daily. I'm Kristen Evans, and I'm a book critic and culture writer based in Cleveland, Ohio. Today, we're setting up Ben Stein, a communications manager for a public policy think tank in Ohio. He's a former high school English teacher, an avid gardener, a talented amateur ukulele player, a recovering MFA student and fiction writer, and a triple Virgo. While he loves the work of John McPhee, he recently had trouble finishing The Founding Fish. Two of his recent favorite reads include Ali Smith's Artful and Barbara Browning's The Gift. So we anticipate things might get a bit experimental on today's episode. As always, we'll use our extremely scientific process of examining answers to dating questions like these ones to help make a match with a great book. Ben, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. I'm, I'm a we, big fan of the show. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that we talked about while we were looking at your questionnaire is that you say that um, going through an MFA program burned you out a little bit on some kinds of fiction. So do you want to talk a little bit about that or what your experience was like? It's so funny. I, I filled that questionnaire out fairly recently, but or, I just, I, I, I'm, it's, it already starts to feel like it's faded into the past, but yes, no. Um, in studying for my MFA many years ago, I got super into like very strange and experimental fiction or what I, I took to be very strange and experimental at the time. Um, like, you know, things like Gertrude Stein, Lynn Trojanian, is that her name? I think that's her name. Um, you know, Samuel Beckett, uh, Ben Marcus, Gary Lutz, Don Raffle, who um, used to work for Oprah Magazine, actually, I think. Um, so I, I got deeply into those things. I wrote a lot of that, uh, or I tried to, and uh, kind of hit a wall eventually and started to realize that, like, I was, I wanted to read things and experience sort of the content rather than the form. Um, whereas my experience for those three years was was very much uh, oriented around the form, the language, and the the sound of the voice. Absolutely. What did your experience as an English teacher either change about you know how you became a reader or approach books or help sort of support your reading life? What did you think about that experience? Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of like uh, pushed it in a, in a similar direction, right? I was working with, for the most part, I was working with high school juniors who had very little time for um, like exploring uh, experimental forms and, uh, and language that wasn't clear, precise, and straightforward. Um, and for a while, I thought, oh, I'm going to convince these kids to love Moby Dick, or I'm going to convince these kids that Tender Buttons is a beautiful collection <laughs> of poetry. Uh, and it, very quickly, I realized that <laughs> that wasn't doing anyone any favors um, they would get there if they wanted to, right? Like someday, when I was 16, I wouldn't have, have uh, embraced either of those texts either. Um, so I, I did come to sort of love and appreciate work that was straightforward, uh, clear, 
and that that kind of um, was open about the relationship it, it wanted to have with the reader. Yeah, straightforward about the relationship it wanted to have with the reader. Let's talk about your reading life these days. Um, what kind of things keep you from reading? Um, well, I, th- I mean, I think the typical things, I've listened to, to a bunch of your episodes recently, and everyone, every time someone answers this question, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's another reason I don't read. Um, but uh, the demands of, of, of living a, a life under capitalism, um, having to work a job, having to split out the remaining, <laughs> the, the remaining 16 hours of your day between sleeping and then doing practicing your, your various spiritual and religious practices or um, taking care of your body and mind or engaging in creative work. And I think the problem for me has been that, for better or worse, sort of reading falls into the creative work category. And there's so many other types of creative work that I, I like doing, mostly because I don't know how to do them. And so it's more fun to learn new stuff um, than it is to, to do something that I've done all my life, which is read. <laughs> so I guess it, it, it's a limit on my, the amount of time I have available. And uh, it's because uh, I, bl- I sort of class reading with other things that are more interesting and exciting. Ben, I have a question. So I can also come clean to the readers that I have known Ben for a very long time and that we live currently are neighbors. Um, but one question, so I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that I'm essentially cheating in this episode, but Elena had her sister on, so it's only fair. Okay, so Ben, we ask all of our guests whether or not they consider themselves romantic. Um, you said no. But your idea of a perfect day includes a laid back romantic evening with your wife, Julie. Um, And I also have it on good authority that you're over there crafting a very romantic birthday gift for her this weekend. So why don't you think of yourself as romantic? And if you still don't, despite all this evidence, what other words would you use to describe yourself instead? Thank you for asking. I had that exact conversation with myself while filling out the survey. All of it. In addition to your guests, I hope maybe you could make that survey available to all of the listeners because it like gives gives a person filling it out such pause. Although maybe that just happens when you fill out any survey on an, on the internet. I haven't done enough of them to know. But like, I really felt like I got to know myself a little bit better just by filling it out. Particularly with this question, do you consider yourself a romantic? Um, I would have said yes years ago. I would have said yes, and I think m- maybe it's only in the past five years or so. Um, that I feel like less of a uh, of a of a romantic b- because of the the kind of naivete and optimism <laughs> that are associated with that word in the past five or six years or so, and who knows why this could be. Working in public policy and in communications and spending a lot of time talking about those things on the internet has caused me to have less of a romantic idea about human nature and human beings and you know the degree to which we are all good at heart to me that's a really romantic idea and that has faded a little bit and i've become a little bit more cynical um but but i i would say if not romantic what what's a good word it would be uh sympathetic empathetic the word that i would get from what i just reading your survey obviously i don't know you at all um but i got conscientious was a word that that I could see kind of you're careful with things and you're very purposeful. And that may not always come across as romantic to people, but I actually think as someone who has been, I have been married to a conscientious and purposeful person for 10 years and I'm very happy with that decision. <laughs> yeah, conscientious is good. That, I learned that word from 
all of my elementary school report cards. That was the word that was used by all of my elementary school teachers. I remember not knowing it was a big word when you're a little kid and conscientious, which I think also when you're little and a teacher says it just means like you're kind of nervous and eager to please, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I can write my name as <laughs> possible. I will color inside those lines if that's what you want me to do, which is kind of how I, I sometimes, certainly how I often have felt about authority figures in my life and how I sometimes still feel. And I, and the other word, I think, I, I don't know why this this was so difficult for me to come up with, but the other word is sentimental. I'm If not romantic, I'm certainly sentimental, especially about about my wife, who is, I guess, a person about whom I should feel romantic. So I guess, I don't know, sentimental and romantic maybe, or maybe I'm making a distinction without a difference when I say I'm sentimental, but not romantic. We had one last question for you. We all were intrigued by the ukulele thing. What's your favorite song to play on the ukulele? That is a good question. Um, I don't have an answer to that. I, when I try to learn songs, I, I find this to be a healthy approach that like, um, I will try to learn songs, but then when I reach a part that's difficult, instead of <laughs> pushing myself to learn it, I just, and this is something I do with, with other art that I try to make too, is like to try to figure out what I can do within the sort of constraint of my limited skills. So rather than playing a song that is recognizable, um, I will just sort of play the parts that I that I can play fairly easily and then try to make up something to sort of link the parts together. So I noticed at the beginning of the episode, you described me as a talented ukulele player. I would, I would only object to that one word, talented. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm an enthusiastic ukulele player. I would not describe myself as talented. You're definitely enthusiastic, I'll, but you, there's a talent or maybe even if it's an innate one, I've been around you when, you know, listening to music and you can pick out chords just by listening and say like, oh, this kind of matches that or I'm close or, you know, I can, once I get it, I can then follow the chord progression through the rest of the song. And that's kind of a natural ability that many people don't have. When you sit down to play the ukulele, do you have like a certain term in your head for that? Like, it doesn't to me appear like a jam session. <laughs> like That's what I would think of for other types of music. So I don't know if you had a word for that. Well, I, so speaking of distinctions without differences, maybe um, I was going to say, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I play ukulele. I would say that I practice it. <laughs> um, like, and I think that goes for a lot of things. Um I think most of my life is spent practicing. (laughs) That might be true of everybody. We can't wait to practice our book recommending skills today. So (laughs) I think that's a good lead in. (laughs) Um, Over the next two rounds, we're each going to introduce you to books that we love. So we're going to get points based on how much you like the date that we set you up with. So you win no matter what, you'll walk away with six great book recommendations, but one of us will win by being this week's best matchmaker. And if we win, we get to play for our favorite indie bookstores. So today I'll be playing for Wild Geese Bookshop in Franklin, Indiana. Elena, who are you playing for? I'll be playing for Fulton Street Books in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And how about you, Kristen? I'll be playing for the Dundee Book Company in Omaha, Nebraska. And shout out to friend of the pod, Ted Wheeler, who owns that book bookstore. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Um, ben, get ready for your literary meet cute. We're going to start with your first recommendations. So let's hear from Elena for your first pick. 
Okay, Ben. So I lost track of the number of times you mentioned gardening in your questionnaire. It really seems like you're grounded by being around, well, the ground. And I could certainly say the same about Robin Wall Kimmerer, the author of the 2013 essay collection, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. In the collection, Kimmerer combines her expertise as a botanist, her poet spirit, and her upbringing as a member of the citizen Potawatomi Nation to offer up a refreshing vision of the world and how to exist in it. Like you, Kimmerer is an active participant in the natural world, aka she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. In one essay, she describes her attempt to clean out the algae-filled pond in her backyard. In another, she makes maple syrup. On the surface, these might not seem like the most enthralling topics, but Kimmerer has us tune into the symphony around us, and the contemplative essays are laced with exciting and radical ideas. You also write that you admire people with practical skills, and Kimmerer has so many that a long-running joke is that she was born 100 years too late. The collection's many essays are devoted to topics like hickory nut harvests, sweet grass, and her tribe's dying language. They stand alone and they coexist in building to her main points, which are, if you view the world as a gift, like she does, then each plant can teach us something, be it the importance of ceremony or gratitude. And if you view the world as a gift, then we have a responsibility to take care of it. Think of it as the ecology of the essay collection. That is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Okay, so Elena's first pick for Ben is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Kristen, how about you go next? Ooh, Elena, that was a tough act to follow. <laughs> okay, so Ben, um, thank you for talking a little bit about Barbara Browning's The Gift at the top of the show. I love that you mentioned that that book is like having coffee with a friend. Um but it's also pretty experimental. It's unusual. It's a novel as much as it is a kind of performance of self. And because you liked that book so much, I knew that you could handle this recommendation. Um, and I think that you might also appreciate my pick, Renee Gladman's Calamities. Gladman is one of our premier pro stylists, but she's known by far too few people. Calamities is her collection of essays out from Wave Books, and like The Gift, it sits at a kind of genre crossroads. In this case, it's right smack dab between fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Reading Gladman's work is like being invited into a strange room when you're blindfolded, and trusting Gladman can show you around that room and and make sure you don't trip over everything, but also describe things to you in, in beautiful and unusual ways. Um, in this particular collection, she begins with the, each essay with the same phrase, I began the day. It's almost kind of like a day book. I began the day with a group of characters, she writes in the first essay. And later on, she begins again by standing in a fog or looking at a whiteboard. The voice here is commanding, thoughtful, and interested as much in the body as it is in abstraction. And I think you'd really dig it. All right. So Kristen's first round pick is Calamities by Renee Gladman. Okay. For my first round pick, you describe a lot of your interests as being focused around your home and your wife. Gardening, napping, meditation, and yoga are part of your perfect day. And the mutual enjoyment of quiet time is one of your favorite things to do with your best friend. But quietness together isn't the same as loneliness. For my first read, I'd recommend Seek You by Kristen Radke. Radke's 2021 graphic journalistic account digs into not the health pandemic, but the pandemic of loneliness in America, where it comes from, what it does to us, 
through lenses of art, technology, gender, and even the brutal experiments of Harry Harlow that you might remember having studied in college. I had a hard time putting this one down, despite the topic seeming a little bit grim. Not only is the style beautiful, but the writing is too. You say that one of the things that keeps you from reading is falling asleep, and one thing that helps me get engaged when my intention flags is having a graphic format, like in CQ, to pick me up again. Okay, so your first round picks are Elena's pick, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, Kristen's first round pick, Calamities by Renee Gladman, or my first round pick, CQ by Kristen Radke. What do you think, Ben? Those all sound excellent. I'm going to read all three of them. Um, I will probably then follow up and read other works by those authors because you've all persuaded me very much so. Um, with the exception of Elena, only because I read Braiding Sweetgrass a few winters ago and was absolutely stunned by it. I, I totally loved it. And the essays that you mentioned specifically about um, cleaning the algae out of the pond and um, making maple syrup were two of my favorites. So you absolutely nailed that one, um, even down to which essays you, you called out. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass is uh, well, is an all-time favorite. It would have been on my list of, of recent favorites, um, except it was not quite as recent as the others. Um, uh, Rachel, Seek You sounds fascinating and like it might overwhelm me with despair. Um, I love the concept, but I'm, I'm, I need, <laughs> I think I, I think I spend much of my day dwelling on these ideas, uh, partly maybe for professional reasons, but mostly for a uh, existential one. Uh, so I am going to go with Kristen's uh, selection of calamities. That's fair. <laughs> she, you know, she knows, uh, Kristen knows my taste quite well. So I think generally I, I, I that's, that's an unfair advantage, but, um, I, I like the intersection of genre, um, especially sort of when that's done um, by by an author who's thinking about uh, voice and sort of the presence of the narrator. Um, I also think like my somehow something about the way my brain works, um, like feels like I'm resetting every single day as well. And so to begin each essay, I began the day feels very uh, at home for me in my, my internal narrative too. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So your first round pick is Calamities by Renee Gladman. And thank you so much for letting us know that you loved Braiding Sweetgrass because we actually get to reward Elena for that. Yeah, pick. She gets points. She gets points, even Yay. though you've already read it. So where that leads leaves us at the end of the first round is that Kristen has 20 points. Elena has 10 points since you enjoyed that read. And I am going to catch up in the second round. <laughs> All right. We are going to start round two for Ben's book recommendations. So it's a new round, same point system, brand new picks. So Elena, we're going to have you kick us off for this next round. 
Okay, Ben, the fact that you liked braiding sweetgrass makes me very excited to give you this next recommendation. I'm always looking for people to recommend it to, and it seems like you're the perfect guy. Some books alter your DNA. It's like they give you new glasses through which you can view the world. And that is how I think of The Spell of the Sensuous, a 1996 book by the cultural ecologist, philosopher, and professional magician, David Abram. You wrote jokingly that you were born in the right era because it'll be interesting to see how humanity ends. In The Spell of the Sensuous, Abram tries to figure out how we got here. How did we become so estranged from the world around us that our future is imperiled by the world itself? He doesn't blame the Industrial Revolution or greed. Instead, Abram goes all the way back to the alphabet itself and makes a very convincing argument for how the written word created distance between human culture and the rest of nature, or as he calls it, the more-than-human perceptual field. Essentially, he says, we stopped participating in the grand scheme of things when we created written language. Heads up that while it's written lyrically, the book definitely veers on the philosophical side, but the fact that it's a brain workout is fitting because the book asks us to stretch our minds and awaken to the great mystery around us. It's a reminder that we exist and we're formed to participate in this magnificent web and to shut ourselves out from that is the opposite of natural. That is The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. Okay, so Elena's second round pick is The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. Okay, Kristen, give us your second round pick. All righty. Um, ben, in your questionnaire, you mentioned that your go-to karaoke song is Jay-Z's public service announcement. And I know how much both you and Julie love hip hop. Because of that, I've chosen Hanif Abdurraqib's third book, Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. Abdurraqib is a poet and essayist based in Columbus, Ohio, the city where he grew up and which he still advocates for regularly online and in his real life. <laughs> like his other work, Go Ahead in the Rain, seamlessly mixes the historical with the personal. It's how the opening essay can start in the beginning from somewhere south of anywhere I come from, lips pressed the edge of a horn and a horn was blown. How it can take you swiftly from the creation of music to Abdurraqib's first memory of Miles Davis slouched in a black leather chair in a white suit. And I was quoting him there. This is a book about how a tribe called Quest formed and how they fell apart. But it's also about Abdurraqib in America and Blackness in America and filled with an infectious enthusiasm for music, how we listen to it, the devices, the ephemera it, it requires, and the experiences and memories music inevitably conjures. Abdurraqib's work is always exactly what he says it is and also so much more. Go Ahead in the Rain is no exception. All right. So... Um, Kristen's second round pick is Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. Okay, my second round pick. You talk a lot about how music moves you in your survey, and we got a chance to hear about your ukulele practice. Knowing that you love music and that you're on the hunt for good nonfiction, I'm going to recommend Musicophilia by Oliver Sacks. I'm sure you've heard of Oliver Sacks. He's a neurologist and he's a popular science writer, and he passed away in 2015, but not before he dove into what music does to our brain and how music can change the human experience. In classic Sacks style, he goes into interesting cases, such as a man who was struck by lightning at age 42 and suddenly wanted to become a concert pianist, and people born with amusia, which makes concerts sound like chaos. I loved his chapter especially about children born with a syndrome that leads them to more naturally become musical prodigies. Good science nonfiction can pull just as durably as good fiction, and I felt myself wanting to live in his chapters, wishing I could talk to him. 
Sachs talks about how music can heal and reading it is a healing experience in itself. It fed my curiosity like only good books and good music can. So your picks for this round, Elena's pick, The Spell of the Sensuous, Kristen's pick, Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest, or my pick, Musicophilia. What sounds good to you, Ben? Oh, man. I, I feel like this round is even uh, even more exciting than the last one somehow. Um, Elena, I love David Abrams' book. Uh, I think it was called Becoming Animal. I, I read that uh, almost immediately, either before or after Braiding Sweetgrass. So we are, we are very much synced up on this. Um, and I, I definitely will be reading Spell of the Sensuous sometime soon. Rachel Oliver Sacks is... I've never not loved something I've read of his. I think I may have read maybe some excerpts of this in the New Yorker before the the uh, the music yeah, the the thing about the, the the essay you mentioned about the man who was struck by lightning and suddenly sort of became a concert pianist. Um, that rings a bell. Um, so I, I may have read something of his about that before. So I'll, I'll definitely be picking that one up. And Kristen, I, I have to tell you that um, I have already read Hanif's book about a tribe called Quest. Um, it is you did. <laughs> yes, and it um, it is all of the things that you said it is, and it is uh, you know it's it's very exciting and gratifying to read a piece of work about hip hop music that takes it seriously as an art form um, that doesn't feel the need to uh, kind of qualify its admiration by pointing out all of the ways that that hip hop does come up short when it's in terms of the way it treats certain groups of people. Um, you know, because all music and art forms have those same problems. So it, it strikes me as strange that some critics decide they only have to point it out or they have to point it out every time hip hop comes up. Um, so I, I just love that this book exists, that Hanif has written it and that it takes uh, the genre on its own terms and doesn't, doesn't feel the need to apologize for it. Um, while still understanding the fact that there's plenty to apologize for elsewhere. Gosh, I'm going to read all three of these. But I, I think probably the next one I will pick up is the David Abram book, Elena's, uh, Elena's pick, uh, The Spell of the Sensuous. Okay, excellent. Okay, so Elena's pick was the choice for this round, Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. But because you did read Hanif's book um, and you enjoyed it, that also gives points to Kristen, which leaves us in a very exciting place. A at tie. the end of the second round, a tie. Hooray. Okay, so since this is a dating game, right? Um, if you had two people that you were considering dating whose personalities you were both excited by and interested in, um, more, more likely you would choose the more attractive person. And so we're going to have you pick the more attractive book between these two covers. So if you could open up a browser window, we will have Elena and Kristen describe the books aloud so that our listening audience who may not have access to a, a screen to look at covers can have a chance to look at these as well or listen to these as well. So the two covers we're going to be comparing here are Calamities by Renee Gladman and The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. Kristen, do you want to go first this time? Sure. Um, Calamities is easy to describe. It's a purely graphic cover. The word calamities is split across several lines so that it takes the entire cover of, of um, it takes up all the space on the cover. Um, I, 
it, the the graphic style of the words is quite interesting. It's like almost like a giant Sharpie marker has has written this quickly um, and it's in a broken style. And um, one thing that I can note because of uh, I have the physical book in front of me is like uh, many of Wave books, um, co- you know, books in their collection. I can also see like the actual paper that it was printed on. So it's kind of like flecked with the natural paper um, of their of their of their covers. Elena, you go right ahead. So when I'm looking at the Spell of the Sensuous book cover, you don't even notice the words at first. You just see this like big white bird. I think it's a crane or some sort. And it's like bending over and there's a big wing. It could be an angel. It could be a bird. But definitely the bird is the thing that catches your eye first. And I think that that's kind of the point because the whole book is about tuning into nature and not really like relying so much on language. And then in white, it says the spell of the sensuous and it sort of like blends in and I'm doing a deep dive. But now that I'm looking at this, I really do think it's on purpose. And the background is this nice green color. It looks like a forest. Um, it definitely ties into the the thesis of the book in a really nice way. All right, Ben. So which cover did you appreciate more? Those are both excellent descriptions. I was looking at the images while you described them, which is another thing I really enjoy is hearing. I, I really like sort of reading art criticism because I like when people try to put pictures into words because it's, you know, naturally not possible in a square peg round hole kind of way. So great job uh, to both of you. Um, I liked Elena's description better, but I liked the actual picture of the cover less. Um, I think the the, um, the Calamities cover is, is definitely one that would grab my attention. I, I'm a big fan of writing in all capital letters. Uh, and I, I feel like maybe the, the handwriting on the cover of that is not unlike what mine would look like if I were trying to write in an expo marker on a on a whiteboard as I did many years ago. So I'm going to go with Calamities. All right. So we're going to go with Calamities for that. And that means that Kristen will go ahead and win this. And that means we'll be linking to the Dundee Book Company in our show notes today. You guys gave me a run for my money. I feel like I won by the skin of my teeth, Alana. <laughs> Congratulations to Kristen. I'm happy you you did work hard for this, Kristen, and you got it. My ringer. I got my ringer. But you gave me a run for my money. So like I, I'm genuinely like was worried <laughs> for a couple of those picks. Now, so we are going to be shouting out the Dundee Book Company. Um, ben, is there a local indie or an indie bookstore that you like that we should shout out as well? Yeah, well, uh, Kristen has repped our two neighborhood bookstores here in Cleveland uh, already on the show, um, Loganberry Books and Bax. Uh, so I, I'll rep uh, Buffalo, New York's Rust Belt Books, uh, my old favorite from back in my high school days at the corner of Elmwood and Allen, Rust Belt Books, the darkest bookstore I've ever been in. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, ben, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And I hope that you enjoy all of the books that you pick up. Um, where can we find you on the internet? I absolutely will. This was super fun. Um, not only during our time together, but also even just beforehand preparing for it and thinking about our conversation. You all are, are very pleasant people to spend time with, whether actually over the internet or just listening in headphones. So uh, thanks and uh, Godspeed with the rest of this project. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you uh, do you want to tell us any links that we should follow you on? Oh, oh yes. Um, for anyone who is interested in hearing... Um, uh, Fingerstyle ukulele with the mistakes left in. Uh, you can go to soundcloud.com slash plenty for everyone. That's plenty, 
for the number four, everyone. Um, and uh, oh, and if you'd like to see pictures of paintings made by someone who doesn't know how to paint, um, you can check out Plenty for Everyone on Instagram as well. That's Plenty, the number four, and everyone. I'm excited to do that. I don't even know what your paintings look like. Well, and Kristen, where can we find you on the internet? Um, I don't post paintings and I rarely post um, anything on Instagram, but you can find me way too often on Twitter at at paper alphabet, P-A-P-E-R alphabet. And how about you, Elena? Where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at at Elena Wonders or at Books and Elena. And then on Twitter, I'm at Elena Wonders. And I'm on Twitter at R.M. McKenney. And I'm over on Instagram less frequently at Rachel Mans McKenney. You can find all the books we talked about today in our show notes, and the links will go to the Dundee Book Company. You can find our show online at blinddatewithabookpod.com and at bookmeetcute on Twitter and Instagram. Please follow us and tell us all the books that you have fallen in love with recently. Thanks for listening to Blind Date with a Book. Our show is produced and co-hosted by Kristen Evans, Rachel Mans McKenney, and Elena Nicolau. Our showrunner is Rachel Mans McKenney, and our sound editor is Elena Nicolau. Kristen Evans handles web design and newsletter production. Our theme music was written by Alex Bozzi, and our logo was designed by Chelsea Hill. If you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review Blind Date with a Book on Apple Podcasts. Ratings make it even easier for other listeners to find us and join the fun. We'll be back in two weeks with a new guest and more books to recommend. Until then, we hope you're falling for the next book on your TBR pile, whatever it might be.